It's kind of like our cry or our trumpet cry, if you will, to wake up the world. Do 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 do. And what we mean by that is to bring teachings and practices that inspire spiritual awakening everywhere. In this interview, I'm joined by Tammy Simon. Tammy is the founder of Sounds True, a multimedia publishing company with more than 110 employees and a library of more than 3,000 titles featuring some of the leading teachers and visionaries of our time, including Eckhart Tolle, Pema Children, Gabor Mate, and Michael Singer. This conversation explores the role that synchronicity and prayer have played in Tammy's journey, Tammy's unique approach to entrepreneurship, including why it's more important to realize that the how of what you're doing is more important than the what, the importance of creating space in your life and how best to do this, how Tammy changed her relationship and beliefs around money, and more. You can learn more about Tammy's work by going to soundstrue.com. Okay, welcome to the show. I'm joined here by Tammy Simon. So Tammy is the founder of Sounds True, a multimedia publishing company with, with more than 110 employees and a library of more than 3,000 titles featuring some of the world's leading teachers and visionaries of our time. People like Eckhart Tolle, Pema Children, Gabor Mate, and Michael Singer. Now, when somebody sees what you've accomplished with Sounds True, Tommy, they'll probably think, you know, I could never do that. But from doing a bit of research for this interview, like I discovered that you actually had quite a, you started quite small of this project. So could you maybe tell us what the first draft of Sounds True looked like back, back in the day? Sure. Well, uh, Niall, first of all, great to be with you and thank you for your genuine interest. And back in the day, we're going way back. We're going back to 1984, 1985, when I first started Sounds True, April 15th, 1985, which uh, was my father's birthday. And my father had passed away six months previous to that. And I had a small inheritance and the inspiration came from that small inheritance. I mean, like $50,000, which in today, US dollars, in today's world, that would be like $200,000. So for someone who was 21 years old, you know, it felt like a, a lot of money, but also like use it wisely, invest it in yourself. And what I saw out in the world was this use of high speed cassette duplication equipment. Now you may be thinking like, what are you talking about? What is a cassette? Maybe you know what a little cassette tape is. But anyway, I saw these machines. You took one master recording, put it in a slot, and then there could be as many hookups as you could carry these big machines with you, and it would make copies in three minutes. And that was my original inspiration, was to go and record terrific teachers and right there on the spot make high-speed cassette copies for the participants. And I would give the author a copy of the master. So I'm like, here you go. Here's a copy of this professionally recorded program. You didn't have to pay for that. And then I would sell the cassettes and I would give the author a share of the revenue after I covered my costs. And part of the big motivation here was that I wanted to go to these lectures and I you know, couldn't afford the weekend workshop fees. And so this gave me a chance to go to sit in the back of the room where I could like listen and learn, but I also didn't have to really participate in the same way, which I enjoyed. I liked my kind of observer seat. And I you know, would come away at the end with master recordings and cash. Well, that is quite a sweet deal. And I know you weren't the biggest fan of academia. So this, it sounds like you were almost able to create your own education here and make it a very exciting and rewarding process, you know? So that's fantastic. Well, it wasn't that, you know, it's interesting because I, I love learning. And the thing that I discovered in the academic world was that the kind of learning that I loved, which is learning that I could process in an embodied way, that I could feel, that I could know in my own experience, at the time especially wasn't all that welcome in academic circles where it felt like there was a requirement to be much more analytical about other people's ideas. And I was really interested in something like the personal spiritual journey or the mystical journey or the path of direct revelation, whatever language you want to use for what you know in your own inner mystical knowing. So that was the kind of learning I was interested, in, which wasn't necessarily welcome in academia at the time. 
For sure. Now, I've heard you describe yourself as the fringe of the fringe. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think I, I don't maybe necessary is a strong word here, but do you think it like it helps if you want to make a meaningful impact or a meaningful change in this world to almost be an outsider? Well, first of all, I think that comment, the fringe of the fringe, tells you more about my psychology than perhaps the real facts of the matter. And what I mean by that is that's how I felt inside. And I think I've always felt quite like an outlier or uh, someone who didn't fit the status quo of the culture. So that's how I felt inside, whether it was true or not. I don't really know. That would take a, a different kind of lens. Now, in terms of what it takes, I think feeling some kind of inner pressure inner imperative. It creates a, a kind of pressure cooker inside. So often, I mean, maybe great ideas and great inspiration and great motivation can just come for some people from like an easy breezy kind of thing. But what I found in my life is that there are certain times when I'm like, oh my God, it is so intense in here right now, so demanding. I have got to come up with a way out. And one of the things I've been reflecting a lot on is how intense adversity can often lead to spiritual discoveries. So sometimes it's people who have, you know, uh, serious uh, terminal illness diagnoses or people who are uh, suffering uh, in all kinds of ways. And through that suffering, something breaks through because it has to because you're so cornered. And I think that was part of what was happening for me. I mean, I felt a kind of desperation when I dropped out of the academic world to make good of my life. And so there was a lot of inner pressure. And I do think sometimes good ideas come from that kind of inner pressure. That makes a lot of sense. Now, can you tell me about the role that prayer has played in your life? And can you tell me about the significance of the phrase, I think it's uh, God, I'm willing to do your work. Show me what it is. Sure. Well, these are two big questions, Niall, and I'll try to be brief. Uh, the first one, I'll answer your second question. God, I'm willing to do your work. Back when I was 21, that was the sentence that occurred to me at that time. Because you have to remember, here I am, not just a, a college dropout, but there had been a lot of expectations in my family that I would do something meaningful. And I had those expectations for myself. I had those expectations for myself because I really wanted uh, to help what I saw as and still see as a suffering world. And I was like, I, I want to do something. So inside, I didn't know what to do. So I said this sentence, God. And to me, what that meant was that there was some type of benevolent work, holy work, good work, service work that would actually be mine to do. And that it didn't matter to me if it uh, was easy or hard, uh, famous or not, big or small. I just wanted to do the work that I came here to do as a person. So that was what was under that prayer. And I said it again and again for a long time. And I think it helped kind of focus me on what really mattered to me. Now, the role of prayer in general, you know, it's interesting because I don't think it's like quote unquote prayer that really matters. It's the connection. It's the bridge it's the contact with something that's beyond your personal mental power. It's the idea that there are bigger forces at work. There are, uh, whether it's other beings and uh, presences, or whether it's just the power of life itself that we can contact, where we're not this isolated little you know, like a like a a a a a board. What do you call it when you play a game like pool? Build. I can't think of the word. Billiard. Billiard ball. Yeah, like we're not this little isolated billiard ball trying to make everything happen in our life because that kind of capacity and power is so limited. One little billiard ball trying to do its thing. But through some kind of bridge or connection or contact, something, you're suddenly in touch with all of the power of life. And if you want to call that quote unquote God, you can. You can really call it anything. You can just say life. Let me do the work. 
through this vessel, through this instrument that I'm uniquely wired and capable of expressing that's good and benevolent. And I think creating that kind of link up, that's what connects each one of us to a reservoir of possibility that is just absolutely huge and amazing. And so I think that's the key act. And you don't have to call it quote unquote prayer. You could call it relaxing into the power of life. And what's interesting about your story, Tammy, is that after you did that, some things started happening and you could call it coincidence or whatever, but it seemed quite synchronous that some, some of these events happened. And, you know, I want to get your thoughts on, we're talking here about the divine or that higher power or whatever. It almost seems like it's responsive in some way. And can you maybe tell us about the what happened around that time that maybe led to sounds true? Like, like how sure. did that actually come about? Sure. And uh, but just one comment here, which is, you know, I think sometimes when we introduce words like divine or people are like, oh, God, you know, I'm going to roll my eyes now. Really? We have, you know, what does that even mean? And that's why I can think of it more just like when you connect and are in conversation, because we're always in conversation, possibly, but sometimes we're not listening to life, all of life. So you're breathing, you're porous you're interpenetrated by, you're, you're receiving messages, you're, you know, with everything, with what's happening with all of the elements around you, the trees, the skies, the stars, with the people, with the animals, with the messages coming from technology, all of it. That's what I'm talking about. And then you start seeing, oh, well, these are synchronicities. Well, this is your aligning with the movement of life. And in my own case, uh, you know, I said that prayer for a long time and nothing particularly terrific was happening. I have to be honest with you. And I was getting pretty deflated, but I was determined to keep asking questions. And that's sort of part of my nature. It's like, well, what about this? And what about that? And so I was interviewing people for a public radio show as a volunteer. So this is important too. I was, I was just like, I have to follow whatever in me is alive and interested and I wanna learn. And I wanted to learn what this gentleman had, he had crystals in his window. And I wanted to learn about the crystals. Why did he have these two foot tall crystals in his window? I'm like, this is crazy. What's he doing with these things? What are they? And I'd walk by, you know, I was barefoot at the time, walk by and I was like, what's going on? And what uh, he and I became friends in that process. So that's interesting too. It's like, oh, these miracles happen. Well, no, actually I allowed myself to recognize this person and he recognized me. And we were like, wow, we like each other. Now that's available to anybody, you know? I like you, oh person that I just met, whatever. And so we liked each other. And then we spent time together. And then I shared with him, as I mentioned to you, Niall, that I inherited this small amount of money and I didn't know what to do with it. And he said, why don't you put it in yourself? And I was like, what? What, what do you mean? Like, uh, what would I do with it? And he just looked at me and he said, Tammy, you know what you want to do. You know what you want to do. And when he said that, I thought, no, I don't actually. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you for all these hours about things like crystals if I knew what to do with myself. I don't know what to do. But I walked out of his office and this is where you could say, oh, the synchronous event happened or this miracle happened. A strange, it was certainly a strange event that happened. And the strange event that happened is, first of all, I felt like I was walking above the ground. So that was very odd. What do you, what's going on? Why are my feet five feet above the ground? That feels very strange. And then I heard a voice. And of course, is that an inner voice, outer voice? I'll never know. And the voice said, disseminate spiritual wisdom. And when I heard that voice and I heard those three words, my feet hit the ground again and I started walking and I felt like I knew that that's what I was supposed to do and that that was the answer to the prayer that I had been asking. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like that was a great source of motivation and power for you moving forward, just to like it give you a direction for your life that, that would organize. Clarity. All sorts of clarity. Clarity. clarity, because the power in which it came through, you know, it wasn't, you know, most of the time we have these thoughts and like, oh, maybe this would be strategic. Maybe I could do that. Or this is a good idea. And then there are things that happen that are like lightning bolts that go through you. You know, you can't, you can't question them 
because they're so strong and you felt them through your whole being. And you're like, that, that's a thing. And that's the way that moment felt when I heard disseminate spiritual wisdom. It was undeniable, incontrovertible. Yeah. Very cool. Now, Sounds True's mission is to wake up the world. I might, I think that's what it is anyway. Um, what do you see as the, the, the purpose of business in the future of our society? Well, okay. Well, there's a couple things in there. First, it's kind of like our cry or our trumpet cry, if you will, to wake up the world. Do, 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 do. And what we mean by that is to bring teachings and practices that inspire spiritual awakening everywhere. So even as I was talking to you about all of life becoming an expression through a vehicle of us, but us not being a billiard ball. And I've never used that image before, but what occurred to me talking here today, it doesn't really matter. The idea of that being that interconnected web and knowing ourselves like that, that is what spiritual awakening is. That's to me what waking up is. And that's available to all of us because it's our true nature. It's who we actually are. It's images that create this sense of being a separate self. It's ideas that we've formulated. So that's what's meant by that wake up the world. And then what's business's role? Well, what's it like to have a business that honors, reflects, and expresses our interdependence? What's that like? What's that like when we're really all rising together, our employees, our vendors, the future? We care about the future. We're working as well for our ancestors, for their good name. In the world today, we are their living expression. What are we going to do for them? How do we balance all of the stakeholders in an interdependent way and give our gifts? Like what's the future of business? We wanna give our gifts. That's who we are as people, I believe. When our hearts are open, there's a natural overflow. There's a generosity that occurs in us as people. We're flowing. Woo, I got more. I want to give it. I want to give it. I want to give it. And we want to give our gifts too. And we want to be recognized. And we want to have this kind of natural reciprocity. So, you know, as a as a business person, I want to, I want to serve you. I want to bring you value. I want to make you smile. I want you to go, oh my God, I love that product, that brand, that company, that ethos. I love it. I love it. And then you, you know, so that's what, that's what I think. Yeah. And the, the future businesses will honor and express our interdependence. Fantastic. Now, just to comment on what you guys actually do. So when I was like 20 years old, I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And that created so, such a massive shift in me that I think has probably led to the work I'm currently doing. You know, so it put me on a completely different trajectory in life. So what you're doing is important. You know, it's helping people to wake up and see things from a different perspective, which then changes their actions, changes what they do in the world. So um, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's super important. Um, so I wanted to ask about some of your kind of philosophy and some of the things you kind of, I suppose you try and embody through through Sounds True. And a phrase that I, I find really resonate, really resonated with my own experience is that there's no there there and there's no there's no there's nothing at the end like not not there's not at the end but it's not about the the end thing that you're going towards it's about the uh the process of getting there and um i think there's a there's a really harmful myth that or not myth but just a belief that a lot of people carry especially in the business world that the ends justify the means and anytime i have went by that philosophy it's always led to terrible outcomes both in the present and what it led to so what are your thoughts on that well i mean especially since you're an eckhart tolle uh fan or someone who appreciates eckhart's work you can say something like there's no there there but there's a whole lot of here here and what i mean by that is we're here and whoever listens to this is also going to be in the present moment here, whenever they listen to it. 
whenever they listen to it, they'll be here. And what that, to me that means is that we have to make each here, each now moment, utterly true, fabulous, in integrity, heart-filled, right. Right with us, right aligned with us. When we do that, the next moments will also be like that. The moment we trespass that for some future gain, and especially if we trespass our integrity, if we trespass our soul's alignment, anything like that, uh, we will we'll have to pick up the pieces of that. And it doesn't make sense, especially if your business is standing for something like spiritual wisdom. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to say that the way we get there doesn't matter. No, the process, and this has been my philosophy, it sounds true from the beginning, the process should reflect the values of our products. The process should have um, as much wisdom in it as our products do. That's very cool. So it's not the, or the how is as important as the, as the what? The how is the most important thing. Interesting. Okay. You mentioned integrity there. What does the word integrity mean to you? Yeah, it's a word I like. I mean, I know it can sound kind of like moralistic. And even as I said, it, it's like, oh God, now she's on her high horse. Like, really, we're going to have to listen to this? I was thinking to myself. But integrity actually means to me something like, you ready for this? An open central channel in the body. It's our backbone. It's our spine. It's the current that runs in us from uh, down a deep already in the earth, up through us in front of the spine and up through the top of our head. That is our inner alignment. And that inner alignment is our integrity. It is our integrity. If we're compromised, then we're out of that strong back. We're out of it. And we're, you know, we're wishy-washy. We're all over the place. You know, like you meet people and you're like, wow, that person's a little squirrely. Like, what does that mean? They're squirrely, you know, or they're oily or something like that. Like you can feel it's like squishy or you meet someone and you're like, wow, they are elegant. They're upright. Uh, you know, they're, they're noble. Whoa. There's a, you know, this like natural nobility. That's our integrity. Very cool. Now you have worked with some of the world's greatest spiritual teachers and who is the person when I, when I say the word integrity, is there anybody that jumps to mind that that person had extremely high integrity? Maybe their presence or yeah, does anybody come to mind there? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's always hard to name people. Uh, however, uh, I will bring one person up and I think part of it is because of the depth of our friendship. So what's, well, so I know this person in a different kind of way, which is through my work at Sounds True, I've had the honor of being able to travel with Adya Shanti, who's a spiritual teacher, people call him Adya in his life. And, you know, I, I started calling him uh, something like Mr. Goodness. And it was just my joke. He never really responded as I said it, but I always felt from him uh, this, uh, utter and total transparency and authenticity. And so it was easy to get to know him and to be friends because he was so available through his goodness to connect with me. So I think I know him in his integrity in a more intimate way than perhaps some of the other teachers I've worked with that I've never gotten to know as well. Interesting. And for you yourself, how do you know when you're out of integrity or out of alignment with what you should right. be doing? Well, first of all, I think everybody knows. I think everybody knows. I really don't think it's, uh, I don't think you have to have uh, any kind of special superhuman powers. I think it's our human powers. And I think if you take the time to sit with yourself and listen inside, that's really the only prerequisite. And I think to question and inquire into addictive behaviors of all kinds, because those are ways that we're 
covering up emotional distress. And that emotional distress can be an indicator that there's something we need to pay attention to, coming back into our own inner alignment, coming back into our own inner self. But if we're constantly, you know, whatever it could be, from whatever addiction that could be happening, we're covering something over. So I think that's like, huh, let me get interested in that. What is that? Why am I covering it over? Oh, let me go into it. Oh, in there is some kind of tremendous grief or heartache or rage or unexpressed calling or whatever it is. So I need to go into that. And then when I go into that, it informs this action that I take into the world so that those actions are even in greater and greater alignment with my true soul. So I think it's about a listening, inner listening and knowing yourself. And you've got a book called Being True. I think that's the title. And your company is called Sounds True. So obviously truth is a big value for you. What, is, what does truth mean to you? Yeah, well, it's not truth in like some sense out there, like here are the true statements of the world. It's what's true to you. So like you just asked me about integrity, like it's some um, whatever. And I think, first of all, people always know when there's something slightly fishy going on with them. Like you can smell your own fish, your own rotten fish. You really can, you know, and uh, you kind of like, I kind of know it. there's like this rotten fish thing. I'm thinking I'm going to put it under the rug in the back room, in the guest room and, you know, la 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 and hope nobody notices. But we notice, you notice, you know, it's there, you know, it's there. So what's true, being true means, guess what? I put the rotten fish in the guest room under the rug and I was hoping nobody would notice and I want to tell you about it and get, and I want to clean it up too. I'd like to clean it up. I'm going to be true. And you know what else I'm going to be true about? I'm going to be true about what's happening in my heart right now, which is to say, I really think you're a bright guy, Niall. You are. I feel like an old person now that I'm, I feel like I'm 90 telling you this, but I do like what's in my heart. Like, can I just say it? You know, being true is like being true with our BS, the fishy stuff, and it's being true with our love, with what we care about, and taking a risk and saying it and like letting ourselves be the outrageous lovers of life that we are. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Uh, just going back to, you know, being able to smell your own fish or whatever, that time in my life when I really did feel out of integrity. I was, I went back to university to do, do a degree in psychology and I decided halfway through that degree to drop out to, um, to focus on the business. And when I was doing it, I just knew there was something inside me, just knew that it was just the wrong move. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I couldn't explain it, but just on a gut level, I just knew something was wrong. And I invented a million rationalizations about why it was the right thing to do, whatever. But it, for whatever reason, my conscience wouldn't leave me alone until I went back just to finish it off. You know, I don't know if that's the the guilt or the guilt of my Catholic upbringing or whatever. But um, you know, I just I knew I was out of integrity, and I almost couldn't live with myself until I had uh, remedied it, remedied it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that's what, in a way, being true means. It means whether it's a remedy, like I owe this person an apology, that can be part of it. Or here's the thing I really want to do that I've never let myself say out loud is really what's true for me. Or it's having a conversation with somebody and saying, you know, there's this thing we've been dancing around. We've never really had the conversation. That's the real conversation that we need to have. And I want to have the conversation. I want to bring it forward. I don't want to keep it buried. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you now know to be true that you wish you had of you wish you had of um known earlier? And I know you don't like to make these big generalizations or anything, but does anything jump to mind whenever I ask that question? Um, you know, I think if the, the one thing that occurs to me is I think I've had a lot of uh, 
fantasies or you could say illusions about things like illusions about there'll be a time when everything will be perfect and you know my relationship my work the earth human civil you know whatever a mythos and I, i'm thinking of gabor mate who talks about the power of disillusionment and would you uh rather keep your illusions or would you are you able to let yourself see the truth of things and be disillusioned oh my god i feel so disillusioned and so maybe i could have spared myself some illusions if i knew what i know now because i've been so disillusioned in my life but also i just think maybe that's just part of the journey of growing older and and seeing my young illusions okay that's really interesting actually i wasn't expecting that so it's it's almost like just seeing what is actually happening and not trying to project your hopes on top of it, just seeing the cold hard truth of the situation and being okay with it and dealing yeah. with the pain that comes with that. Yeah, valuing the truth more than a fantasy of happiness and perfection and liberation and all of that. Cool, cool. Okay, well, I've heard you say that sounds true almost is or has been like a laboratory for experimenting with these sort of like really timeless virtues that have, you know, lasted for generations. Can you maybe tell us more about that? Sure. Well, I think in a sense, first of all, if you're interested in this notion of being true and living in alignment, let's just say that, it is a kind of laboratory. It You become a kind of inner scientist, if you will, inner experimenter, because you have to test things inside. You have to try things out. So it's first of all, just trying it out with yourself and being a personal laboratory. And then you get into being in a laboratory with other people. Whoa, that's really interesting. How are we going to do this together? How are we going to set up our experiments and try things? And how am I going to learn from you? And you're going to learn from me. And, you know, you mentioned the notion of virtues, because this is also uh, an idea that I hold dear. And, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Carolyn Mace, but she's uh, someone that we also uh, work with. That sounds true. And she's a medical intuitive. And since we talked about this energy running in front of the spine, in her work, she writes and teaches on the spiritual values and principles that are associated with each of the chakras, each of the energy centers in the body. So the virtues actually live in our energy centers. So if we take a, a virtue like forgiveness that lives in our heart, can we actually embody that at work? So this central channel, this alignment, this brilliancy that runs in us, this river, that river runs through all of our chakras. Can our chakras be open and aligned with these capacities? So you take an idea that sounds like an ancient traditional spiritual idea, like forgiveness. Well, how do you apply that at work? It has a real application at work because believe me, the people you work with are going to do things that you're going to have to forgive. And guess what? They're going to have to forgive you too for the things that you've done or said or ways you interrupted them or didn't listen to them when they were saying X, Y, Z. When I mean, I'm thinking for myself sometimes when people have brought something to me and I'm like, no, no, no. And then they ended up being absolutely right. You know, absolutely right. I missed it. I totally missed it. I was not seeing the situation clearly. So can I forgive myself, which is always the biggest form of forgiveness, and especially in our work, you know, in entrepreneurship and in this laboratory where you're trying things, you know, some of it does not work. Can you be kind to yourself? Forgive yourself? Can you forgive? And that's just an example of taking one of the virtues and bringing it into the workplace and really turning your whole life into path. And what I mean by that is growth, learning, the discovery of wisdom, all of it. 
So, and of course, you know, so much of our, if you're, if you're working in an organization and you love your organization and you're pouring yourself into it, so much of your learning is going to come from that environment. Do you know the way that there are laws of nature? We have gravity sure. for gravity, for example. Do you think that these things, some things we're talking about, like truth, integrity, forgiveness or whatever, these things are potentially embedded into the structure of the reality that we live in and that the more we can align ourselves with them and the more that we can live in harmony and harmony with them, the better our life can get. I'm not saying it's going to be the cure-all to all problems, but it's sort of like the more we're able to live in alignment with these, with these, these laws of nature, whatever, the better things tend to go. That's been my experience of life. That's why I'm asking. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I think you're right on. Absolutely. 100%. You know, I mentioned Carolyn Mays and you said you never heard of her, but that's one of her uh, essential teachings. She defines God as law, the laws of the universe. That's her definition for God. What is God? God is the inherent laws that there are in the universe. So our actions have results, the law of karma. Uh, you know, it makes sense. Uh, hide a lot of fish, smelly fish under a carpet in a guest room, your house will smell. It's a law, you know, uh, pretty simple. Uh, yeah, I think 100% right on. Okay, cool. Um, tell me about the importance of space, making space in life. And how do you find space in the micro? And how do you find space in the macro? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's just interesting. I notice as you say that, um, you say the word space, there's a part of me, I feel I melt inside. And I feel a sense of um, dissolution and ease and uh, to use a spiritual word, grace. So I love the word space, and I'm not just the word, the experience of space. And space is always available. So that's one of the really terrific things. Wherever you are right now, whoever you are, in the space that you're in, the room that you're in, the vehicle that you're in, you're surrounded and penetrated by space. You're surrounded by space. How far does it go? Uh, I'm not sure. Can you find the end of it? I don't think I can. Does it end anywhere to the left, to the right, behind you, on top of you? Where, where does it go? So can you breathe it in? Can you mix your mind with space, basically? Mix your experience with space and make your experience really spacious. So there's, you know, 75% of you that's space and only 25% that's blah, 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 blah. Okay, maybe we can do 50-50 first and then we can grow it and grow it. How big can the space be? And the more space we have in us, the more perspective we can have because that space is an open field of knowing or awareness. And it can witness whatever the thoughts and emotions are that are coming up inside of us, take note, learn, and take skillful action. So you asked about the micro and the interesting thing is we can always find the space if we're willing to stop and connect with it. And of course, breathing is a great, breathing is can, can help us with the mixing. So, oh, I'm gonna breathe in, I'm gonna bring space into my whole body, the whole interior space of my body. I'm gonna mix it with everything inside of me. So it's like your breath can be the action of the mix master, if you will, or whatever you wanna call it, the blending machine. 
And then you breathe out all the things you've been holding on to that feel crammed inside of you that are making you feel like you're in a vice of some kind of your own making. Just breathe them out into space. Where are they going to go? There's a lot of room for them to go and dissolve. That's fascinating. And I could see that just being so such a helpful thing for people to dive deeper into just the the exploration of space you know in around outer um with with your business tommy um i'm aware you do things like you have a one minute meeting of silence before meetings and things like that are there any other unconventional business practices that have kind of served you and your organization well over the years that other people might not be aware of or do? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can have different, uh, what you want to call them practices or things that we do or different, you know, but I think the, the core idea and I wish it happened more in business, is to really be truthful with people. People love the truth, actually. It's the thing they're looking for. And I found people can be really mature, even when there are downturns or bad things that happen, and that the things that mess with people is when they can't figure out what's going on. What's really going on here? What's actually happening here? I don't get it. You know, whereas if you can just tell people, this is what's actually going on. This is what we're doing. These are our struggles. And so I know that sounds very basic and you're like, what? But I think that is a, a core idea. Now, here's something I'll talk about personally. So this is not like, oh, this is a business practice, but this is something personally that uh, has been a big shift for me, which is about 10 years ago, I was working with a coach and he said to me, you know, Tammy, there's so many ways you inspire people, but, you know, it's hard for people to get you to say something uh, really positive and affirming to them personally about their work. Like you have such high standards that you don't compliment people very often. And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't want to just compliment people for nothing, like blah, blah, blah. And he was like, but people need that. People need to hear uh, positive praise for their work. And he's like, it doesn't cost you money and it gives people so much. Why don't you start doing it more? And of course, this made a lot of sense to me. And I had to ask myself why I didn't do it more. And that took me on my own investigation of the ways that I am very demanding and have really high a high bar with myself. And so it's not easy for me historically. It hasn't been easy for me to give myself a compliment. So I'm not going to give other people, you know, it's like, well, okay. So I went through this whole, and then I, I, I took a moment and I made a vow, which is a strong statement. Like now I'm bringing in spiritual language again, but I just, I needed to do something strong with myself internally. And I said, every time it occurred to me that somebody did something um, impressive, amazing, cool, worthy of a compliment, something that I valued, I would say it out loud or I'd write them a text or I'd send them an email and I would acknowledge it. So I started doing that every single time. So anytime something, it could be little, it could be something uh, like uh, I could tell that somebody struggled in a meeting to speak up and they did speak up and they said something that was difficult for them and it it shifted the 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 way the conversation went. Then I th would go on a walk afterwards and I'd think about it. And I mean, I didn't mean to think about it. It just occurred to me in space. And then afterwards I would sit down and I would text them a note. I want to thank you for having the courage to bring that up in the meeting. And that sh totally shifted my relationships with other people at work. And so I'd put that in the category of the power of praise. Wow. From my own, uh, from my own perspective, if I admire somebody and I get praise from them, like even though I try not to sort of be validated by others, um, for whatever reason, the way, the whatever way I'm wired, I find that hugely motivating for me. It gives me such a lift. Like if I'm playing sport or whatever, and someone encourages me, like I'm playing a game of football, like it gives me like an extra spring in my step, you know. So why not? It's free, and if it's if you're telling the truth at the same time. 
Exactly. It, it was a huge missing part of my own leadership. And I didn't, the, I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to go around and just, you know, throw compliments left, right. But I didn't have to. I just had to start looking for it and then acting on it. And it became a snowball. That's the interesting thing. Then it started happening all the time. I started noticing all these things I appreciated and writing them. And, you know, now it's just part of my way of interacting uh, with the world. Uh, so I, I've got an assistant. We've been working together for maybe, it's probably been about two and a half years now. And we have a weekly meeting. And at the start of the meeting, we basically, what I do is throughout the week, I'll note down all the things that I have appreciated about her work that week, everything I'm grateful that she's done. And there's a list, maybe it's probably between five and 10 points. Sort of the meeting, I'll tell her all the things that I, you know, I've really appreciated. And like you say, you're just, because you have this practice, you're on the lookout for these things and you just realize, oh my God, this person is bringing so much to my, to my work. Like I've been really, just a shout out to, to, to Lolly, by the way, she's absolutely incredible person. She doesn't get any uh, attention for what we do, but this thing wouldn't run without her. So I'm deeply grateful for that. But, uh, you know, and interestingly, just to say, cause you asked about practices at our leadership team meetings, we would always end our meetings with an open round of appreciations. And here's the interesting thing, only if you mean it. So some meetings, the round of appreciations would go on for like 15 or 20 minutes. People had so much to say about each other. You got 11 people in the room appreciating the, and some meetings, nothing would be said, <laughs> nothing. There wasn't anybody, but, you know, it's been a hard week or whatever. And people were just, you know, because to me, the important thing is that it's real. Because as soon as it starts becoming, of course, just like, oh, we're supposed to do this, and it becomes like the, you know, the right thing to do, it becomes, it, it doesn't hold any value anymore. But if you keep it open, that they're, they're authentic things, then a round of appreciations at the end of a meeting, it's meaningful. For sure, for sure. Now, another thing that I think is really important to bring up here when we're talking about business, no money or no margins, no mission, right? Um, people have very complex beliefs around money. A lot of it's tied to childhood, like early upbringing and things. And particularly people that are inclined towards helping others. For I don't I don't know why that is, but people have a complicated relationship with money. So something I wanted to ask you was: Are there any beliefs you hold around money that serve you well, or any ways you? you look at money, your relationship with money that you find beneficial in the business world? Yes, Niall. I've done a lot of work on this issue and recently. And one of the things I discovered was holding me back. And I think that it's a it's simply a false notion. And in economics, it's called the zero-sum fallacy, and it means looking at money and the availability of money like it's a pizza pie, which means if I have a bigger piece, you get a smaller piece. And unfortunately, I believed this notion around money for quite some time, that if I made more money, it meant someone else was somehow making less. And as somebody who's taken these bodhisattva vows, probably not just in this lifetime, they feel so deep inside my being. And you know, the bodhisattva is the person who's determined to bring benefit to other people. I didn't wanna have more than other people if I was taking something from someone. I mean, that goes against my spiritual nature. That's not okay. But what if money is not like a pizza pie. What if I get a bigger piece and that's not taking anything away from anybody because actually they can just print more money and they do all the time. And instead it's giving me more flow that I can share with more people. What if money is a positive flow that I can partner with to be even a more gold filled instrument of goodness in the world. And I'm, I'm, 
the opposite of taking things from people, I'm becoming a more powerful river of, of good flow. And so this is a huge shift. And I think that it's really important for people who wanna be benevolent to seek out and see if they have this zero sum fallacy working in their psyche. That goes deep. So just to sort of clarify the, the way you look at it now, it's you look at it like it's it's flow and the more you can be or more you, more of that flow you can have the more you can contribute to the world and the more that you can you can create a bigger pie for everybody as opposed to just being at this 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 one limited pie there's not a pie the whole notion of the pie is part of the problem it's like saying space is a pie no there's where's you know space is not a there's not a pie of space out there do you know what I mean? So it's, I think that's the the thing. It's more like, oh, the more that of this current slash currency river, the more that this currency flows through me, the more I can share and give, and it comes through me freely, not in some like personal billiard ball kind of way, but as a vehicle and vessel of uh, creative input and creative output. And I'm not quite the opposite of taking from people. I'm an overflow giver. Okay. I, I love that. I think images are so powerful for people and that's a great image, you know? So thanks for sharing that. How far ahead do you plan, Tommy? Not very. Can you like, are we talking like- Are you talking, well, okay. So in our business, we have a three to five year operating plan. We have a, a plan for which of our, how we're going to allocate capital. And that has to get continually reevaluated. But sort of personally for me, the reason why I said I don't plan very far ahead is in my own kind of like world and thinking about where am I putting my energy, whatever, I can only really think about a couple of weeks at a time. I'm like right in whatever it is I'm doing right now with my energy and intensity. But of course we have, uh, you know, we've mapped out 2024. We have our budget already. It sounds true. We have a plan for the next few years as well. So they're both true at the same time. Cool. Cool. If you're writing the autobiography of your life, what is the title of the current chapter? Let die what needs to die so what can be born can be born. I know it's kind of heavy. It's a, it's a heavy autobiography. It's not going to be, you know, light reading for the masses, but uh, there you go. What's the title of the book? Being Existen True. Being True. Okay, okay. No, what um, were you going to say? Existential struggle or something, or I don't know. No, I would hope not. I would hope it would be something like... Uh, 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 about not existential struggle, but the discovery of possibility. Which you could maybe argue is only possible through that existential struggle though as well. It's been, that has been true in my life. What, for a young person listening to this, and they're maybe looking for a bit of direction, what do you see as worth aiming for in a human life? What, you know, what would make for a good direction? What would be right. a worthwhile existence? Well, I think the first thing is you need to decide that, oh, young person. Don't listen to anybody else. I mean, look what the people around us are doing with the world. I mean, crazy. Don't listen to me either. Find out for yourself. And what I mean by that is what would make it worthwhile for you, person? What Would it be having 10 children? Would it be uh, being a farmer? Would it be being an artist, a sculptor? Would it be writing? What is it for you? And it's so personal. And that's why I'm answering your question that way, because I think often we look out and we're looking for these great ideas and, okay, finally, you know, I listened 
blah, blah, blah. And now I know the recipe. Well, the recipe is find out what matters to you. And you have to tell the truth about it. You know what I mean? You have to tell yourself the truth. Like what really matters? I mean, for example, my relationship is so important to me. Okay, that's me. That's me. My marriage is so important to me. It's the centerpiece of my life. I don't necessarily think that's true for other people. In fact, I know for plenty of people, that's not true for them at all. They're single and that's their thing, even into their adulthood. And they're surrounded by, so I'm thinking of someone surrounded by a circle of close friends and that's that's their meaning constellation for them. But that's not my meaning constellation. I needed this deep, committed, soulful marriage to be the center point of my heart because of who I am and what I'm doing in this life and the healing that I'm doing and the creation that I'm doing and because of this destiny I have with this particular woman. So I guess what I would say to each person is figure out the pathway into your own deepest chamber of your heart. What's, how do you, do you know how to get there? Figure out how to get there. And we all know how to get there because it's in us. So it's about relaxing into it. Be okay with whatever the answer is. Whether the status quo says, we love it, or the status quo says, uh, excuse me, <laughs> what? What is that? Like you're gonna be, you know, broke and unhappy and, you know, uh, whatever you want to, whatever your dream might be, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because if it aligns, if it's the actuality of what's in that deep chamber, that's what matters. That's what matters. It's the only thing that matters because that's your own congruence inside. And so find that thing that's in your own deep, deepest, deepest chamber and honor it and do that regardless of what the world says and be patient, play a really long game with it. And, you know, what sounds true, I've been at this for 38 years. That's a long time. When I started meditation, yoga, that was like something that Hare Krishnas did or something. It was not, it was not like the mindfulness movement. We have the neuroscience to prove it, you know, no. You know, now we're part of the well-being movement. No, it was like some weird niche thing. People in my family did not appreciate it. You know, uh, it didn't look Jewish, quote unquote, which is the faith I was born into. Uh, I dropped out of college. You know, on top of that, I'm a lesbian. I don't want to have kids. I mean, there was a lot that did not fit the success profile that I could have been living into. But I knew that I had to, quote unquote, stay true. So that's what I would say to a young person. Stay true to yourself. Those are extremely wise words. And I don't know why this has come to mind, but it's sort of feeling, I suppose, true for me right now. But yesterday I was sitting at lunch and I'm working at a co I'm, I've recently moved to Dublin in Ireland, right? I'm working at a co-working space and the conversation about about God came up, right? And just very randomly, the a person asked me, you know, there's, we're, we're in like a social setting. And the person asked me, do you believe in God? And I think in the past, I would have just been like, I would have been very socially conscious and tried to give like a cool answer. And then I just thought, you know, I do. I just like, I just said like, yeah, 100%, I do. And I didn't feel any embarrassment about it or whatever, but it was just like, it was true for me in that moment and I just said it and it felt really good not to need the, the validation from the outside. Does that make sense? Of course. Of course. Um, so just wrapping up here, Tommy, uh, with regards to the, the um, th things people can do after this conversation, uh, like we've talked a lot about business, about spirituality and things. You have, a, you have an amazing program you've created called the Inner MBA. Can you maybe tell us where people can learn more about this, what they sure. might learn on the course? And sure. yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I would encourage your listeners to check out soundstrue.com because at soundstrue.com, there's 3,000 programs that we've made. There's also the free podcast that I host that has now close to 1,000 conversations 
with spiritual wisdom teachers. It's called Insights at the Edge. And then the inner MBA is a specific nine-month immersion program, bringing inner wisdom skills to business. And specifically, we work on, in the first trimester, learning the art of self-management. How do you become a quote-unquote mindful leader yourself? And then in the second trimester, it's all about creating exceptional teams and everything that goes into collaboration and deep listening and also the deep expression of our power and agency at work. And then the final trimester is re-envisioning our organizational life and the contribution of business to society. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we'll link to that in the, in the show notes for this episode. Tell me, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. You are definitely a person of high integrity. I'm, I'm sure of that. So I really appreciate it. And I want to wish you the best going forward. Thank you. And I want to take a moment, uh, Niall, just to say you did your homework and you shared a bit about yourself, which I really appreciate. And I feel connected to a different part of the world through you and to a younger generation that uh, you fill me with a sense of hope and uh, how how sincere you are. And I feel your light. So thank you so much. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to hear the full version, you can do so with the Weekend University Premium Membership. This gets you access to your mastered library of over five years of psychology conferences, including over 230 talks and interviews with the world's leading psychologists, professors, and authors, unlimited CPD certification, transcripts, quizzes, premium passes for our annual conference, online courses with Richard Schwartz and Deb Dana, and more. The cost is £97 for one year, which breaks down at around 27p per day. The best bit is you can try it out for 30 days completely risk-free as all orders come with a 100% money-back guarantee. If you're interested, please go to twumembers.com for more information.